Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Well, as stated previously, today we finally reach the end of our journey with Father Abraham. This story has featured ups and downs, twists and turns, successes and failures. Some moments left us in awe. Others have left us confused. And still others have left us cringing. But from beginning to end, one thing has remained solid, consistent, and steadfast. And that's God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. God will fulfill his promise to Abraham. God will keep his word. Even if Abraham doesn't see it all take place in his lifetime, God will give him offspring, land, and a nation. And the whole world would be blessed as a result. God will be faithful, come what may. But if that's the biggest lesson we learn about God in Genesis 12 through 25, what's the biggest lesson we learn about Abraham? Or to put it another way, how should we remember Abraham? Better yet, what is Abraham's legacy? Well, at the end of the day, Abraham should be remembered as a man of faith. And in that sense, we Christians can call Abraham our father. Because we are called to follow in his footsteps. We too are people of faith. So open up to Genesis chapter 23, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. And of course, thank you for your son. Lord, thank you that you were faithful to Abraham and that you are still faithful today because you are still you and you do not change, even though everything around us can be incredibly fluid and unpredictable. You remain the same. You're always good. You're always powerful. You're always faithful. And for that, we thank you. Thank you that you are just as faithful to your promises to us as you were and you have been to your promises to Abraham. Thank you that we can be called not just Abraham's children in a way, but even greater than that, we can be called your children. Thank you that you call us your sons and your daughters by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that our sins can be forgiven. Thank you that we can be reconciled to you. Thank you that you look at us and you call us saints. You set us apart for holiness and you call us to be like you, but you also empower us to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, part of that is reading and understanding and learning from your word. And so I pray that you would be with us as we learn from your word this morning. Help us finish this sermon series strong, have a good grasp of why this story matters, not just in the pages of the Bible, but beyond the pages of the Bible in our own world right now. Lord, help us understand you better so that we can love you and worship you and obey you more faithfully. Again, we love you. We do worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, starting in Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. For those not aware, Sarah is Abraham's wife. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. We know next to nothing about Sarah's life between the time of Isaac's birth and her death. That's some 37 years of silence. But Hebrews 11 reminds us that like her husband Abraham, Sarah should be remembered as a person of faith. It's also worth noting that Abraham weeps and mourns for Sarah. I mention that because, let's be honest, at times they appear to have a complicated relationship. In chapters 12 and 20, Abraham lied about their marriage to protect himself from harm. And possibly put her at risk. In chapter 16, Sarah suggested that Abraham impregnate another woman. And Abraham didn't put up much of a fight. And in chapter 21, Sarah demanded that Abraham kick Ishmael, his own son, out of the house. By our standards, Abraham and Sarah's marriage wasn't always picturesque. But even with all that said, Abraham loved Sarah. There was genuine affection between these two people. But then the rest of chapter 23 is dedicated to Abraham acquiring a grave for Sarah. And the text goes into all kinds of detail about who Abraham buys the land from, where it's located, and how much he pays for it. Why do we need to know all of that? Well, Abraham's insistence on burying Sarah in Canaan, burying her in the promised land, is a subtle display of what we remember him for. It's a display of his faith. The land does not truly belong to him and to his descendants quite yet. But Abraham trusts that one day, It will. He's so confident of this fact, so sure of God's faithfulness to his word that he is willing to bury his wife there. We remember him as a man of faith. Now look to chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord. That's one of those biblical customs that we're okay with going away, putting your hand under someone's thigh to make an oath with them. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth 
that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. The way chapter 24 begins tells us that Abraham is going the way of Sarah. He, too, will soon die. And the story is starting to shift towards Isaac. That phrase, old and well advanced in years, is a positive way of describing someone in the Old Testament. Abraham is now at least 150 years old, give or take a few years. And as he approaches death, he has proven himself to be faithful. Think back to chapter 12, when the promise was first given. Abraham was 75 years old. He has now spent at least half of his life moving within and around the promised land, trusting and waiting on God to do what he said he would do. And it's safe to say that Abraham has learned a thing or two along the way in those 75 years. We get a glimpse of Abraham's more developed faith in Genesis 24, verse 7. As he instructs that servant about how to find his son Isaac a wife, Abraham tells the servant that the Lord will send his angel before you. The Lord will send his angel before you. Think about it. Abraham, the guy who didn't trust God to fulfill his promise earlier in life and took things into his own hands by sleeping with Hagar, is now telling his servant, just start walking. God will take care of it from there. Abraham has grown. He's matured. He's more faithful than he once was. Why? How? Well, Abraham doesn't deserve all the credit. He's grown because God has proven to be faithful time and time again, even through Abraham's failures. Finally, Genesis 25, as we wrap up Abraham's life, starting in verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave at Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zahar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. That's all going back to those seemingly unnecessary details in chapter 23. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. 175 years old, and Abraham finally dies. Like Sarah, we don't know much about Abraham's final decades. It seems that to some degree they had already fulfilled their primary God-given purpose 
when Isaac was born. Everything else was kind of secondary. And as we've discussed throughout this sermon series, Abraham was by no means perfect. There are plenty of ways we can criticize or second guess Abraham's words and actions. Like Charles Barkley, Abraham wasn't always a role model. But make no mistake, Abraham dies as a man of faith. That's how we remember him. And even after Abraham has buried, his confidence and his trust in God will be vindicated. Why? Because God is faithful. His promise to Abraham lives on through his son Isaac, lives on through his grandson Jacob, and stretches across the rest of the Bible. You know, any student of history can tell you that people are complicated. And legacies are rarely entirely black or white. They're rarely wholly good or bad. Most people can't be easily reduced to mere heroes or villains. Think about the ancient Greeks and Romans. They deserve credit for laying the foundation of Western civilization. But they also practiced forms of cruelty that we can scarcely imagine. Some of our nation's founding fathers wrote brilliantly, magnificently about unalienable, Individual human rights owed to all people because they were given by God while also owning slaves. Think about the heroes of World War II. FDR led the nation through a global catastrophe while bravely battling polio, but also unjustly sent Japanese Americans to internment camps. Winston Churchill warned the world about Adolf Hitler when no one was listening and rallied his people in the darkest days of the war, but was also a racist, functioning alcoholic. And even Joseph Stalin was a key part of the fall of the Nazis, though he was a brutal dictator in his own right. The point is that people are messy. Legacies are not always clear cut. And if we can't recognize and admit this, if we can't separate the good from the bad, then we'll throw out a lot of babies with a lot of bathwater. And we see a similar dynamic at work with Abraham. He didn't do everything right. But we still remember him as a man of faith. We shouldn't want to imitate every part of Abraham's life. But we Christians are called to follow in his footsteps as people of faith. So now that we've tied up those loose ends in the final chapters of Abraham's story, let's talk a little more about faith. What is faith? What does faith look like? Father Abraham gives us several things to think about. First, we find the go-to biblical definition of faith in Hebrews 11, verse 1. We read there that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things 
not seen. As we said earlier, Abraham didn't get to witness the complete fulfillment of God's promise. But he still believed it. As we saw when Abraham buried Sarah, he trusted in God's ability to keep his word, even as his life wound down. And as believers in Jesus, we too are assured of things hoped for and convicted of things we haven't seen in this life. Some things we may never see in this life. We don't just hope there's a God. We know there is. And we may not have seen the risen Christ, but we're convinced he's alive. On top of that, we may not see Christ return before we die, but we're still confident that one day he will. By definition, at least by the definition provided in Hebrews 11 verse 1, we Christians must be people of faith. We also learn from Abraham's story that faith is at the very foundation of a right relationship with God. Remember Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Knowing all of his faults, the prophet Isaiah still calls Abraham a friend of God. Abraham didn't earn that title by doing everything right all the time. He was given that title by God's grace through faith. The Apostle Paul makes a similar point in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He argues that if Abraham's relationship with God was based on faith rather than works, the same must be true for believers in Jesus. We don't earn access to God by our works. And even our best attempts at righteousness by our own power could never make up for the problem of sin. Instead, we are given access to God by faith in Jesus' works on our behalf. Our sins are forgiven not through our actions, but through Christ's. We are reconciled to God. We are declared righteous, like Abraham, by faith. We are called friends of God by faith. It's the basis of our relationship with God over and above works. But we also learn from Abraham's story that a relationship with God based on faith isn't limited to just one tribe, one nation, one people. God's promise would bless the entire world. We see that in Psalm 47, verses 8 and 9. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. God doesn't just reign over the nation that came from Abraham. He reigns over all the nations. 
It's not just the princes of Israel who gather as the people of the God of Abraham. It's the princes of the people. It's not just the shields of the promised land that belong to God. It's the shields of the earth. In Galatians 3, 7 through 9, Paul says that those of faith, all who believe, are children of Abraham. Regardless of our nationality, our bloodline, our family tree. Believers in Jesus. Not merely biological descendants of Abraham are welcomed into relationship with God. That term that we see so much in the New Testament, Gentiles, referring to non-Jews. Gentiles includes most, if not all, of the Christians in this room. Thank God that you don't have to be a biological descendant of Abraham to be welcomed into God's family. We're welcomed in by faith. Another lesson that Abraham teaches us is that faith is expressed through action. Faith is not just a belief we hold in our heads, a sensation we feel in our hearts, or a confession we make with our mouths. Faith is expressed with our hands and our feet. In Genesis 12, Abraham moved. If he hadn't, we wouldn't read anything else about him. In chapter 17, Abraham obeyed. And as we saw last week in chapter 22, he was prepared to do the unthinkable. To sacrifice his own son. Because he trusted God so much. Good works were not the foundation of Abraham's relationship with God. Faith was. But as we read in James chapter 2, Abraham's faith produced good works. Good works came as a result of his faith. Likewise, we Christians are called to a faith that works. A faith that means something. A faith that does something. A faith that leads to something. And if what we call faith doesn't lead to good works, then we may need to re-examine that faith from the ground up. And finally, we see from Abraham's story that one person's faith can shape, direct, inspire another's. Isaac would follow in his father's footsteps, though not always in a good way. But he too would be remembered as a man of faith. God's promise would move forward through him. I have to wonder if Isaac remembered just how strong his father's faith really was, even after his father died. It's probably hard to forget the events of that almost sacrifice on Mount Moriah in chapter 22. I think Isaac remembered his father's faith. And seeing someone else's faith can encourage us in our own. Your faith 
My faith can inspire someone else to press on in theirs. That's the whole point of that wonderful list of examples in Hebrews 11. It's no coincidence that after that list of faithful people, we get the rousing call to action of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses is all the people in chapter 11. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews gives us this long list of faithful people to encourage us and challenge us and inspire us to be faithful people too. To go and do Likewise. So in the end, Abraham, for all of his shortcomings, is remembered as a man of faith. And we Christians are his children in the sense that we too are called to be people of faith. We are assured of the things we hope for, convicted of the things we haven't seen. We enter relationship with God by faith rather than works. By faith, we benefit from God's promise to bless the world. We practice a faith that expresses itself through works. And we, like Abraham, can serve as examples of faith to others. Now, of course, this is all easier said than done. We will have moments of doubt, much like Abraham did. And how do we get faith to begin with? We want to be careful not to turn faith into just another work that we have to do. We don't want to separate faith from God's grace. But for today, I'll just say this. If you want to grow in your faith... If you want to get more faith, start with the most obvious gifts, the most obvious tools, the most obvious resources that God has given us. Things like his word, things like his spirit, things like his church. Ask God to grow you in your faith through prayer. Spend time reading about God's faithfulness in this inspired book and surround yourself by faithful people. So as we've seen, we have a few things in common with Abraham. But there is one thing that separates us from him just a bit. We have a much clearer view of the way that God would ultimately fulfill his promise to bless the world than Abraham did. We also recognize that the promise was bigger than Abraham and Sarah. It was bigger than the promised land, bigger than descendants, bigger than a nation, as grand as those things might be. The promise to Abraham stretched back to Adam and Eve 
the Garden of Eden, and the problem of sin, death, and judgment. The problem that stretches forward to us. That promise is ultimately fulfilled. Guilty sinners and a fallen world are redeemed through Christ. Arguably one of the most challenging, tense passages in the New Testament is John chapter 8. Jesus gets into a dispute with some of his fellow Jews about his authority and where he comes from and why he gets to say all the things that he gets to say. There is name-calling, there is anger, there is bitterness. But look at what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 56. Again, speaking to his fellow Jews. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus seems to be arguing that in some sense, Abraham did know that something bigger was coming even if his view was a little more foggy than ours is. So the Jews said to him, verse 57, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Abraham was long gone by the time Jesus says these words. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We know how the story ends with the life, death, resurrection, and return of Christ. So in the meantime, may we be people of faith as we wait, like Father Abraham before us. May we be people of faith in the one who is greater than Abraham. May we too be people of faith. And may we be remembered as friends of God. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you are faithful time and time and time again. We see it all over the pages of scripture that Even when your people fail, you do not. Even when your people invite judgment upon ourselves, you don't ultimately abandon us. Thank you for your faithfulness, your patience, your mercy, your grace, your kindness, your generosity. There are just not enough nouns or adjectives to describe your faithfulness. But thank you that you are faithful. And Lord, I ask that you help us be faithful. Help us represent you well in this world that isn't all that well acquainted with the concept of faithfulness. Help us be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. Doing so not by our own blood, sweat, tears, strength of will or strength of mind, but by your grace, by the power of your spirit. Help us be faithful. I pray that the faith we embody in this world would be one that is really visible. Again, expressed through actions, not just something we say, not just something we think, not just something we feel, but Lord, help our faith be something we live out, something we do for your glory. And so that others might see it and 
glorify you as a result. I pray that we would be your people. Even as we navigate this fallen world, we feel a bit like travelers, like sojourners, looking forward to promises that aren't quite yet fulfilled, looking forward to something better that we can't quite see. Help us be faithful in the midst of that until you fulfill your promises. Help us press on, help us endure, help us persevere in the faith. Help us live as your friends, as your sons, your daughters, your people, reconciled to you by the body and blood of Christ. We love you, we thank you, we honor you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.